Philippians chapter 1. It's a good time to turn our ringers off our phones. I know I don't need to remind you, but I just want to remind you that we're here. We'll be in the Word of God for the next 35, 40 minutes. You know, we have noises all around us um, all week long. And I just pray that we're here with our ears open uh, to receive the Word of God, to be free from distractions. This is important for us to, to be going through these verses as God speaks to us, to be able to do that freely and without distractions. As Father, we do come this morning, and I pray that we remember to turn our ringers off our phones. We be settled in our seats as much as we can. And Lord, be attentive to the things that you want to show us here in your word. And I pray that you would speak to us, um, touch our hearts with these things that we're going to be reading about. That joy may be, Lord, a part of our hearts and lives, even in the difficulties that we go through. So Lord, uh, we just give this time to the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we open up this letter penned by Paul the Apostle, keep in mind that he's in Rome as he's chained to a Roman guard. He's under house arrest. Matter of fact, we discussed it last week in our introduction to this wonderful book, the book of Philippians, that the Apostle Paul had actually just gone through a series of legal nightmares that began in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 21. He spent over two years in Roman custody he would be taken to Caesarea where he would stand and face Felix and Festus, the, the governors. He stood before Agrippa in the amphitheater. And Paul, being a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar. And they said, well, to Caesar you shall go. So the end of the book of Acts uh, tells us of that voyage that Paul took to Rome. And then he's under house arrest. He's waiting to go on trial before the emperor. His name is Nero. And Paul would at this time, as he's in Rome, we would understand that uh, if he would express how disappointed he was, how discouraged he was, defeated he was, maybe thinking and writing, okay, Lord, you must be done with me. Will I ever be used of you again? I mean, he's writing this letter almost four years that he's been in prison here chained to a Roman guard. But rather what he does is he takes pen in hand and he writes to this church at Philippi. The first church established on the continent of Europe uh, on his second missionary journey. He writes this letter to them and he expresses the joy of the Lord. He encourages them to be rejoicing always. And as he's inspired by God... Incredible truth is coming forth from him. And we get to be blessed and benefited by that because this letter is for us today. Every single one of us that have come through the services this morning, at some time in our lives, or maybe for you, it might be at this time presently, that we can feel burdened, we can feel chained, we can feel imprisoned by circumstance, a situation the season that we're going through in life, where God has us. And we can learn that in those times that we can have joy inexpressible, not necessarily happiness, but joy 
in our hearts and in our lives during those difficult times. And that is what comes forth through the apostle called Paul. And in the opening of this letter, verses 1 through 6, that, that we read last week, we've already learned that the key to having joy, we'll continue to see that going through these four chapters because he uses the word joy or rejoicing some 19 times. And number one, he says that I am thankful. As, as we looked at that, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And I want to remind you, and I have something very important, we can forget it as we go through difficulties or rough times or confusing times, that we can be thankful in everything. Not necessarily thankful for everything, but Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, he says, be thankful in everything, always be praying. And as we find ourselves in those times and seasons that are very difficult or they hurt or perhaps confusing, and it is hard that we can be thankful that we have the Lord. And if we do not have a thankful heart, we will not have a joyous heart. If you don't have a thankful heart, Lord, I know you're with me and your promises are true for, for me. You've saved me. And, and you haven't given up on me. And you're, you're still traveling with me. And I can trust you and rest in your love. We can be thankful in everything that we have him and his word given to us. But if we don't have a thankful heart, we're not going to have a joyous heart. He says, I'm thankful for the fellowship that we've had from day one. And then second of all, he expresses joy that comes from praying for them. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. Isn't that amazing? It gave Paul joy to pray for the Christians and the believers in Philippi. And we know from his other epistles that he wrote to the Christians and to the churches that Paul was one that prayed constantly for the believers. And here he's in prison. He says, it brings me joy to pray for you guys. And as we pray for others, as we pray for family members and loved ones and those who are linked to us in our lives, as we pray for our church family, those that are here, it should bring us joy. Uh, to, as God begins to stir our hearts, when we pray for somebody, there's a connection that's there. And let me ask you this. When somebody comes to you and says, you know, you've been on my heart. And I'm praying for you. Doesn't that bring you joy? It does. It's encouraging. I got a text from uh, another pastor here in Colorado that he's a good friend of mine. He said, Jeff, you're on my heart this morning, and I'm just praying for you and your family. And it was such an encouragement to start the day in that way. Thank you. I appreciate that. When somebody comes to me and says, I'm praying for you, Pastor Jeff, for your family, for the ministry here, it brings me joy. But also, as we pray for others, as our hearts are stirred and there's this linkage and the Lord does this work in our hearts, it should bring us joy to pray for others as well, just as it did with the apostle. So we can have joy as we are thankful and second of all, being prayerful. And then thirdly, as we ended at verse 6, having confidence that being confident in this very thing that he has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So the Lord has called us to serve him, to walk with him. He's called us to, to live for him. And I have joy because I know that he's going to continue to do work in me all the days of my life. He's going to continue to use me until he's done doing that work in me and then through me until the day of Christ Jesus, the day that the Lord takes me home. He takes you home. The promise is for you. 
He takes us all home, I pray, together in the rapture of the church when the trumpet blows in the twinkling of an eye. But in the meantime, I don't have to strive. I don't have to sweat. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be confused. You know, is, is my life just going to fall apart? Uh, is everything going to, you know, come to a point where I, you know, you forgot about me, Lord. Do you even see me and care about me? And maybe you are in a season again in life right now where you wonder, Lord, do you see me? Do you care about me? Or do you want to use me? Are you still traveling with me? And the promise here is Paul says, having confidence. This is a sure thing, no doubt about it, that he has begun a good work in you. And know this, that we can have joy brings great comfort and confidence, producing that joy that the Lord, that he works in us and through us, God has worked for us, that salvation, what he began in us and given us a new heart and, and making us a new person in Christ, a new creation in Christ. He did the work on the cross. From the cross, he cried out, it is finished. And he made atonement for our sins and was put into a grave and he rose again. And now we come in faith and we know it's Christ alone. We know that it's faith alone. That is, we recognize our need to be forgiven and come to the Savior of the world. So the work that he has done for us, that's salvation. The work that he does in us, that's sanctification. That's a process that he's bringing us from glory to greater glory, conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And as he wrote to the saints at Philippi, that word saint means to be set apart. We have been set apart to live for him. For his purposes, not for the world, but to walk with him, to serve him, to live for him. We've been taken out of the world. You saints at Philippi, you've been set apart for his purposes. In Revelation chapter 4, the 24 elders, as they cast their crowns before the throne, they're singing before the Lord that we are created for his good pleasures. We know that Paul writes that other prison epistle in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus from good works, that, that he's ordained from the very beginning that we should walk in them. Even before the world was created, he knew all about you. He set his love on you, and he has something for you to do. You are his workmanship. Poem is the Greek word. It's where we get our word poem. And whenever any of us write a poem or do a work of art, it, it comes from our heart, that expression that comes. And the Lord has a heart for you, and you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So that encourages me. And then, verse 6 here, having confidence that he's going to complete that work that he's done in you and me. The work he does for us, salvation. The work he does in us, sanctification. And then the work that God does through us, that service. And God will be faithful to continue that work until we see Jesus. The apostle here, you know, four years almost in, in prison at this time. And he writes, I'm confident that he'll complete that work in me. And you have that same promise, you at Philippi and you at Calvary Chapel. He continues writing in verse 7, Just as it's right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how great 
Greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. As Paul continues to declare his affection for the believers there at Philippi, because we're partakers together in grace, that had a, a place, a, 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 an important place in Paul's heart. This church was important to him. He was very fond of them, very close to them. It's right for me to think of this of you all. And the same thing could be said of us. That as we are partakers of his grace, of the gospel, we are brought together. And we are brought together with different backgrounds and experiences. You know, think about this. I was thinking about this not long ago. 28 years ago, there was no Calvary Chapel Greeley. There was no church family that was put together. And when you think about the course of human history, that's not very long. But God knew that there'd be a Calvary Chapel before the world was ever made. You know, before he created it, he had a work for us. And he knew that we would be here at this time in history, in the church age. And has a purpose for us. And we get to come together. And I pray that we would always have affection for one another. That we would have each other on you know, on our hearts and on our minds. I think that the apostle here may have been from the south because nine times in this letter he uses the phrase, you all. (laughs) So as we read this, notice that he prayed for all, verse 4. He had a heart for all, verse 7. And he longed for all, verse 8. He did not say, I will pray for some of you or I have a love for a few of you. If I come back, I hope some of you aren't around. We see that Paul had that heart and affection, and he cared for the people there. And I learned from this. And I pray that it would be something of an example for you and for me as we see each other, as we come together. We learn from him, don't we? And after we see the the things that he writes to them, it's this introduction to them. He begins to, to pray for them, verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. We know that he prayed for them. Now we know what it is that he prayed for. He says, first of all, there's four things that we're going to read that he prayed for. But first of all, that your love may abound more and more. And understand that as he talks about this church that loved him and, and proved their love by giving and supporting him and had a love in the church, he says, I pray that it abounds more and more. It isn't something, as we consider it here at Calvary Chapel, that we have to muster up ourselves, that we have to work up ourselves. But we let God work it in us and through us. So the key to having joy is number four, you can write down if you're taking notes in our study of Philippians, and we'll continue to see how it is that we have joy in the four chapters that we go through. But not only are we to be thankful and pray for others and having confidence that the Lord's going to finish the work in us. But number four, as you love others, you will have joy. Listen, if you're bitter towards others, if you're just indifferent to others, you will not have the joy of the Lord in you. But to love others is going to produce that joy. To love others, that the Lord wants to work in you the joy inexpressible. And it starts by loving him. As I go through this epistle, as well the other writers of the New Testament, 
and they prayed for the Christians and for the churches, I learned so much from them. As a pastor, I learned from the apostle here what is important, what is to be of priority when I'm praying for you all here at Calvary Chapel. He didn't pray. I pray that you, Church of Philippi, that you grow into a big mega church. Or you're the happening church. Or you have cutting edge worship and, and social media. He doesn't write that. He says, here's my prayer for you. That your love for each other may abound more and more. That you might grow in his love. Abounding love and discerning love. We know that Jesus, of course, that he would say that, that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. That's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Right before he went to the cross, the night before he went, he said one of the last things to his disciples there in John's Gospel, chapter 15, that you, they will know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. Paul here is, he's writing that my prayer for you is that your love may abound. It has the meaning of overflow to overfilled, used over 90 times in the New Testament. The love of God being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God's love gushing forth from us. I was going to just share this next week in our ministry class because we're going to be talking about loving others in ministry, but I got this email just a couple weeks ago, and I, I thought the Lord put it on my heart to share it with the services and all of you this morning. And please, it's not to boast about us or anything. I just I want to encourage us. And this individual writes this. He he listens to me on Grace FM. He said I, I listen just about every day. Very blessed by it. And he lives outside of Greeley, and he says, My family and I came to your church. We came to visit, and I was really overwhelmed by the amount of love your congregation showed to all of us. It was amazing. And I'd never felt this type of love in any other church. We do go to church in Fort Collins, and I wish we could experience that kind of atmosphere, but it isn't there. I serve in the church, and I'll continue to do so. And I will pray that our church has that love that you displayed to me and my family in the one time that we came and visit. Thank you for what you do on Grace FM. Thank you for your church, the love that you showed, because it is desperately needed, and it is wanted by many. And it was a real blessing for me to get that you know, one of the things before I became a Christian, I didn't care about people. I, I stayed away from people. And part of it is just, you know, growing up and, you know, having a speech impediment and, and you know, what you go through as a kid and all that. And, and I remember family, even my grandpa would say of John and I, what's wrong with those guys? They have their own language. And, and just going through that, and it's like I didn't like talking with people. I stayed away from them. 
And I remember even, you know, in high school, I had a speech teacher. He, he didn't say, I think he, somehow he was trying to be honest or I don't know what it was. He said, your context is fine when you give, you know, gave a speech. We had to give a speech, you know, in speech class. But he said, one thing's for sure, you'll never speak in public. So, you know, I grew up with that. So I stayed away from people. I didn't like people. And then I got saved. And he gave me a new heart. And, you know, at the beginning it was like, okay, I'll love others, but from a distance. And if I didn't see people on the weekends, I lived in a cabin on 20 acres by myself. I I was just fine with that. And I remember I was so hungry for the word. And I, you you know, those of us who are old enough, cassette tapes, young people say, what's a cassette tape? I was just driving a vehicle just recently. They still play cassette tapes. So, but we sold it. And, you know, I would devour those things. I'd listen to five, six, seven a day. I'd be sitting on the steps of the church before it opened and, you know, just waiting on Sunday and Wednesday nights. And finally, one of the guys came out. He said, You're here all the time. Why don't you usher? You know, why don't you give out some bulletins? It's like, No. I did. I said, no, and don't ask me again. Because I don't want to talk to anybody. And over the course of days, you know, the Lord began to just minister to my heart and convict my heart. And, you know, you can say good morning. And he had to do a real work in me. He was one that he showed me. That I can use you. And I really believe that one of the reasons he has me up here is to be encouragement to you. Because he uses the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world and the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are that no man of glory in his presence. Even when I first became a pastor, there were those who were more well known. They they poke at me, make fun. Oh, it's pastor excitement. Mr. Personality. It was just, it was hard to say, Lord, okay, I am in that category, the weak and the foolish. So whatever it is that you want to do. It was terrifying for me to, to teach. But it was others and their love and their encouragement and building me up that it was a great benefit that the Lord would bring to me. You know, it was pretty rough. I was rough around the edges. <laughs> Still am, but... And I didn't like people. And I thought, how can I ever love people? I just, I just wasn't interested. But God did that work. and He brought me Sue to, to help me and be an encouragement, my completer. She's the one that had to call me up and say, you want to come over for some dinner, you know? Because we were in a Sunday school class together, and I sat in the back and minded my own business. And so I said, sure, and I couldn't figure out why anybody would ask me over for dinner. She made me spaghetti. (laughs) She said, you ate so fast, I almost said, no one's going to take it from you, you know? (laughs) 
The Lord wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. There's no reason for any of us to be mean-spirited and to tear others down. But I pray as people come into this place, the weak and the foolish and the unsaved and the hurting, that our love would abound more and more. That we would care for people, take time with them. That we would pray, Lord, help put that love in me. We live in a world where we don't like to be personal. You know, the emails, the, the tech, the, all this, you know, we hardly talk anymore about it. But I pray that our relationships would grow and that we would bless others with the love of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be just a cranky old pastor in my days. I don't. And not caring. I want to be tenderhearted. So a good prayer. May your love abound more and more. And he says, with discerning love. It's not blind. It's, it's not this love. You know, there are those who come along and they say, well, we just welcome, you know, love everybody no matter what kind of lifestyle they live or what they believe. Listen, we will love you, but we will love you enough to speak the truth. Right? Speak the truth in love is what the apostle writes to the church of Ephesus from that prison cell that he was in. And we are to bring correction, but we are to bring truth in the gospel to others, to love them enough to give them the truth, to tell them you need to repent from sin. You need to come to Christ. That's part of, of showing love to others. And the way that he will enable us to love one another is just knowing him more, knowing him more and more in all knowledge, knowing the scriptures, God's word, that you may have wisdom and discernment, that you keep maturing the things of the Lord. So may your love abound more and more. Second of all, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So second of all, that your love will abound not only in knowledge and discernment, but may you prove the things that are ex excellent, number two. In other words, take that which is good, notice that which is a blessing, approve the things that are excellent, and rejoice in that. But what can happen is, because we live in this culture in the day in which we're in, we like to look at the shortcomings and faults and criticize and, and pick on people. I'm going to find a problem with that person and this thing, and I'm going to gossip about it. I'm going to plaster it on social media. And if any of us, including me, are that kind of person where we just want to go around finding fault with others, then people will say, I need to watch out for you because all you're going to do is tell me what I'm doing is wrong and finding faults, and they just want to put people down and tear people down. Deuteronomy chapter 20. The Lord's given instruction to his people when they go into the promised land. And in verse 19, he says this, When you besiege a city for a long time while it, making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege. For the tree of the field is man's food. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food that you may destroy and cut down. When you go to war in the promised land, in your battles, when you take a city, make sure that you don't take your axes 
and start cutting down trees that bear fruit, you say, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? We have a battle that goes on all around us. We're soldiers for Jesus Christ. The battle wages around us every day. And as we are doing battle, listen, make sure that you don't just take your axe and start cutting on and chopping on those who are bearing fruit. I'm going to chop on this person and that group and this ministry, and it's chop, 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 rather than picking from them, being refreshed by them, being benefited by them. Approve the things that are excellent. Be sure to encourage them in that. Now, if the tree is not bearing fruit, it's a cult, it's false teaching, it's a false prophet, if they're causing others to sin, be involved in sin, if they're off the wall, if they're bizarre, cut it down, carry it away. But I know that as believers in the day in which we're living in, we can get caught up with what the atmosphere of our culture is, and it's very toxic, and in our own tendencies to go around just chopping on people. And there can be those that, unfortunately... And I pray none of us. They're just negative all the time. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like, you know, the, these things. I don't like what you wear, whatever it may be. Well, the question is, as we come here, are you blessed in any way? Did you receive when the word was taught? Were you... Happy with be with the other believers in the Lord. We will try to do things right, certainly. We want to make sure everything is, is done decently and in order, that this place is clean, that the teachers in children's ministry and youth are all ready to go. We want to make sure that, that things are in place. When you come in, you're welcomed. But the question is, what is our attitude? What is mine? Is it to watch and find fault or rejoice that we're here and desire to be blessed, to pick from those who have something to give? It's kind of like I was telling the the class yesterday. uh, When I raised four kids, having four kids in the house, no one ever came over to my house and said, you know, the coat's laying on the floor that your kid threw down, or dirty socks are, you know, on the floor, or there's a banana peel in the corner. I mean, who does that? And I pray that as we minister to others or you come into this place, you don't say there's banana peel on the corner. You know, this isn't right. I don't like this. And listen, if things aren't right, we'll, we'll correct it. Here in this church, Paul is going to bring correction because there was strife. But it was to help them, not just discourage them. So we don't go around chopping, swinging away. Because if you do, you're going to be robbed of your joy, and then you're going to rob others of their joy. Man, may your love abound more and more. That includes approving the things that are excellent. Approve the things that are excellent. You know, in the book of Acts, and I don't say this disrespectfully, but just honestly, that the disciples went from town to town, city to city, and they brought the gospel. And it says that they brought joy wherever they went. So you got a choice, all of us, to bring joy wherever you go 
or you bring joy whenever you go. Will you care for people? Will you build them up? Pray for them. These things are important that we're reading about here. The third thing he says, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ Jesus. That word sincere literally means you're not a phony. To be sincere and without offense, he's praying that they would have mature Christian character. That word sincere has the meaning literally of being tested by the sunlight. A sincere Christian is not afraid to stand in the light. Now, none of us are going to be perfect, but we should show godly maturity and character in our lives. Our lives should not cause others to stumble. And by the way, how can we exercise spiritual discernment if this is a part of my life, is it going to cause others to stumble? And if the Lord, as his light is revealing, that's what light does, right? To reveal will be spring's going to come. We open up the blinds. We open up the windows. And it comes in and we do spring cleaner cleaning. Why? Because all the dust it exposes. And we can become a little dusty. But the Lord wants to do that work in us. And I don't want to stand in the light of Jesus Christ where I'm stumbling others or phony. There's nothing worse than a fake light. To be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. That's what another translation says. That people see the reality of Jesus Christ that comes from us. And then he says, be filled. The fourth thing that he prays for them, the fruits of righteousness, living rightly, stand for righteousness, walking in righteousness that comes from Christ as we surrender completely and totally to him. We have a righteous standing before God. And we're clothed with his righteousness. And it ought to produce fruits of righteousness in our lives. And after Paul's prayer, verse 12, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul being in prison, the Christians would be concerned. He says, I don't know what's going to happen to me, whether I'm going to die, which is better for me to go home and be with the Lord, or to stay here, which is better for you. And as he's writing to them, he says, listen, you need to know this, that God is working in the midst of my hardship and difficulty. And he's using me for the furtherance of the gospel, for the kingdom. How was he using Paul in that? Well, you know, he was praying for the Christians and for the churches. Always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you all with joy. And we know that while he was there in prison in Rome, that he was also praying for the other churches as well. We know that from the other prison epistles. Paul would redeem the time he spent in prison praying and then he also secondly said that he was used at this time for the furtherance of the gospel. Why? Because he's writing part of the Bible. He's writing these prison epistles. That's a part of the canon of Scripture. And we benefit from it, from these letters. For, so indeed, it's for the furtherance of the gospel. Also, number 3, verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident in my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So we can have confidence that the Apostle Paul witnessed to those guards that were chained to him. Can you imagine being chained to Paul for a 12-hour shift? The guys didn't have a chance. And he's over there, and I just imagine he's on his knees, and he's just praying, Oh, Lord, I pray for the believers 
Philippi and Colossae, Ephesians, the others. And I pray for this one that I'm chained to. So you go to work and you feel imprisoned. The person over there that you're working next to, pray for them. Okay? Pray for them. And then I imagine him just saying, you know what? Jesus died for you. He loves you. He wants to save you and forgive you. At the end of the epistle, he says, the brethren greet you there at Philippi and some from Caesar's household, from the palace guard. They were getting saved. Paul did, I think, more ministry in prison than a lot of us do out of prison. He redeemed the time. And it's also interesting that the apostle would write when he wrote Ephesians and I believe Philemon, the other two prison epistles, he says that I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He does not ever write that I'm a prisoner of Rome or I'm a prisoner of Caesar Nero or get me out of here. He says it's for the furtherance of the gospel. Because I'm praying for you guys and for the Christians that your love abounds more and more. And when there is love, God's going to work. We know that he wrote the prison epistles there for us. Some were getting saved from the palace guard. And then most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he would be one that the Christians had more confidence to speak the word with boldness and without fear because they would see, they would see that he still had joy in the midst of his trial and imprisonment. And God can use me in those times. The chains were an opportunity to bring salvation to the lost and then give courage to the brethren. God wants to use us together when we encourage each other. Doesn't it give you bold, boldness to go and speak the gospel? It, it, it gets kind of scary when we find ourselves all alone. But I know for me, when, it, when I go down and I meet with the other pastors or once in a great while I go and travel and see what God is doing, it brings me boldness. Yeah, you know, the Lord's coming back. I want to share the gospel, and that's what was happening. Because of my chains, others are saying, you know what, we're going to speak the gospel. Paul, he has joy. He's being used of the Lord, and so are we. The Lord wants to use us in the day in which we're in to bring life to others, to bring the gospel to a dying and lost world. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these few verses that are given to us. And I pray that, oh, Lord, as we have considered these things and looked at these things, there's so much that's here that we know that these things are important that we are to pray for, for Calvary Chapel, for each other, for our lives, our love to abound more and more in discernment and knowledge to approve the things that are excellent to be sincere and without offense to live righteously 
So work that in the life of this church and in the life of us as believers. That we would be used in the day in which we are in for the furtherance of the gospel. Lord, I want to give the gospel. And for you who are here who have not come to the gospel, I know a vast majority of us have, but if there is anyone here that you have not called out on the name of the Lord, he is your salvation. And he did the work on the cross by taking your sins upon himself and making atonement and then put into a grave and he conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. He's at the right hand of the Father and he says to you, come. Call out on the name of the Lord. What you are to do is repent and turn to Jesus and realize that he's the one that has given you life. The world's just going to bring you death. To ask him to give you a new heart as he sits on the throne of your heart as Lord and Savior. You can do that right now. You can pray sincerely, Lord, I, I give you my life. I come to you a sinner asking that you forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You rose again and you're alive. And Lord, make, make my heart new. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for saving me. For the new creation and a new day and bringing me into the family of God. And I do want to know you and serve you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Lord, work in our lives. And Lord, if anything needs to be corrected, as the light exposes us in our hearts, it's not to condemn us, but to convict us that we may give it all to you, Lord. Thank you for this morning. Bless everyone here this week. In Jesus' name.